So, Chris, I think it was in episode three of this podcast that we had a segment very early on how to make money in AI. And one of the things that we talked about was investing in potentially NVIDIA and Tesla (laughs) stock. And meanwhile, NVIDIA's stock prices absolutely skyrocketed with their latest earnings report. And they're forecasting that the, the, you know, with AI and people buying these A100s for their server farms, all of the big tech companies, they're going to see huge increases in revenue, almost 100% year on year growth in that particular area. And it's almost hit a trillion dollar market cap. So my question is, did you take our advice and invest? I don't listen to anything we say on this podcast, Mike. You know that. Oh, man. Oh, man. Why why didn't we do it? That's crazy and fairly predictable. We should have taken our own advice and literally sold the house for this thing. But anyway, it's almost now a trillion dollar uh, market cap and it looks like there's no sign of it slowing down. The interesting part of this, though, for me is, do you think this is just a case of we're in a, a pretty down market and everyone's looking for the hope for growth. And so everyone's thinking, well, AI and just throwing everything into it. The interesting thing about NVIDIA's stock price is it's always been seen seen in the finance communities as somewhat of a barometer of the exuberance of the market. Like when NVIDIA is like cranking, then it's like, okay, there's a lot of cheap capital and people are just trying to put their money somewhere. Whereas this time, it's almost like a counter thing where the market's sort of a bit turbulent and yet it's it's exploded just due to great business rather than it being a sort of speculative thing. It seems like it's going up with merit. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the spikes, you're saying that, and it's a good observation is that November 2021, it, it really peaked. And that was sort of coming off the Web3 crypto hype and yeah. boom. And now you just and see- chip shortage as well. Oh, chip shortage, yeah, too. And then now you just see it's just, it's just straight up. So- do you think I this- mean look at look at our own discussions about it like I'm constantly thinking I want better and better graphics cards myself because the prevalence of models you can train yourself is exploding and we'll talk about this later on today's podcast the new models that it can be trained in 24 hours on your own hardware I can see why more people not just businesses small businesses big businesses everyone wants their own hardware to run their own models so I don't see it slowing down honestly like they're making the best graphics cards that all this stuff's designed on nvidia's cuda architecture so you know like everyone needs these things it's not this isn't a a fad this is a a a a big thing that's here to stay so do you think having said that like if you were to make a further prediction we come back in another 10 episodes when we still haven't invested (laughs) it's tripled again do you think I mean, it's, then- always, it's always that thing, right? You don't really want to buy shares after it's gone up like a billion percent. But at the same time, uh, it's, you know, at some point, its valuation is going to reach fair value. And if that fair value is going up all the time, then maybe it is worth it. Yeah, um, it seems like they're the like only saying- ones right now selling the tools for the AI era. Yeah, and it's like back in the, you know, 1980s going, I'm not paying $40,000 for a block of land in Sydney. That's crazy. You know, now it's like $2 million for like an old burned down shack or something like that. It'll be interesting to see. I know Microsoft and Alphabet, which is essentially Google, have gone up as well. These are the three stocks that seem to be getting all of the money flowing in from speculation about AI. Um, I I think it's interesting with Microsoft and Google just because I don't see how it leads to huge growth. If anything, I think for Google, it could lead to a decline in ad revenue. So it may not. Microsoft doesn't surprise me because I think Microsoft over the last few years has made some brilliant acquisitions. Like, you know, buying LinkedIn was really cool. Their investment in OpenAI, obviously, I'm regardless of what I think of OpenAI, like it was a very, very shrewd move to get in on that. And just the software they're putting out is just great quality. Like I'm a huge Microsoft fan. Um, whereas Google, I don't know, like it, it, that seems more like a sort of everyone just hopping on the bandwagon. They're not exactly leading in any aspect of, of anything right now, especially AI. I think the other stock that could see a huge skyrocket effect is tesla which is not 
that associated with the AI push right now. But if you think about the economic impact of them cracking self-driving using AI and all the other applications with their robots and all these other pieces coming together, it's definitely a longer term bet, but it seems like the other stock that could 10x or skyrocket into the future because yeah you know the other aspect there i think people just have such a positive affinity with the tesla brand i mean you've got kids right like my kids they know you have a tesla like every time they see one on the road they're like look at tesla uncle mike and then they'll talk about all of the merits of why teslas are amazing including ai including self-driving including the the better technology in it and i know that's a sort of n equals one kind of case me just having a personal experience but it seems like tesla as a brand is associated with all things good when it comes to technology spacex ai all of that stuff so yeah i i agree i think if they do make movements in that area it will will come with a very positive response yeah if they crack full self-driving and it literally leads to you can get in your car have it drive you to a restaurant and legally get drunk and then it drives you home I just can't see how that is just not the most valuable company on planet Terri- Earth. Terrible for our health. I guess you invest in the health companies as well for the inevitable decline of humanity. Yeah, like uh, making money there and on the AI side as well. Yeah. What we what we really need to do is invest more time in our stock predicting bot and give it all of the information and see what it thinks. Like, has NVIDIA got further to run given what you know about the development pace of AI, the use of the new models that are coming out, and what hardware is going to be needed in order to do that? Because, you know, some of the models are showing you don't need as much hardware to train the big LLMs. But, you know, on the other hand, more people will be doing it. So um, it, it stands to reason that the demand for these... GPUs is just going to explode and um, it's not easy. It's not easy to spin up a factory that can pump out graphics cards like this. You know, in in normal economics, you think, okay, well, the market grows, so more players come in and they have competition. But this is an industry that's notoriously difficult to get the machinery to build the stuff to advance the technology. So it isn't a case where someone can just go, oh, I'm starting a new GPU company. Um, They'll be shipping next year. They've got a, a big moat. For, yeah, I think for AI manufacturing as well, it's probably why the US government's trying to push a lot of the chip manufacturing to the US mainland out of Taiwan because that's where nearly, all, I think, all of the manufacturing for NVIDIA is happening today. So it it could, with the rise of AI, lead to uh, a, a geopolitical battle literally over AI and having access to these chips. That's how important they're becoming. Yeah, and I think the other stock to keep your eye on, obviously, is AMD because they're the only legitimate other player who can build uh, machines that uh, can compete. So I note their stock price went up 11%. I don't know in what, like last 24 hours, I assume, but it's definitely definitely rising and you could see that there would be growth there as well. Yeah, it looks like it hasn't hit its sort of peak like crypto chip shortage uh, December 2021 uh price so it hasn't exceeded it yet so it's definitely behind but it is uh it's straight up and i think the other one's probably intel as well if they get their act together but intel just seems like they've kind of lost the plot in the last couple of years yeah but i mean like just generally correlated like if you need more gpus you need cpus and and computers to put them in so i could see intel doing very well (laughs) they're not going anywhere that's for sure so Neuralink just an hour ago announced that they're excited to share that we've received the FDA's approval to launch our first in-human clinical study. So inhuman. In-human. Uh, well, it was like in chimp before. <laughs> yeah. The first evil AI, the first evil implants in the brain. So for those of you unaware, Neuralink is literally a, a chip or an interface with the brain. And, and the idea behind it is that you can communicate with the brain. So there's all of these different implications where they could potentially allow people to walk again by helping with, with areas of the spine that are blocked to get signals through. So you're saying it's interactive. It's not just it's scanning your brain. It can actually put input into your brain. It, uh, the way I've I've sort of understood it is like a programming interface for the brain. So you could actually like, you know, program out bad behaviors, potentially unaddict people from substances by just telling them to stop. Um, 
And, and yeah, I think there's many applications, but one of the ones that Elon Musk cited in a presentation from some time ago now was that with AI, the only way we'll be able to compete with super intelligence and AGI is to become AI ourselves. So we have a chip in our brain, uh, you know, and we're walking around saying as a large language model, I can't can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I gotta, I gotta start using that when I don't want to do chores in the house. As a large language model, I am unable to sweep the floor because I. I actually wrote it on Mum's Mother's Day card because I know she listens to the show. So I wrote as a large language model. I can't write your Mother's Day card for you, but I can suggest some things about your mom. <laughs> Just- That's brilliant. I love it. I love it. But yeah, so this idea of sort of computer plus human, we've got a human brain and we have access to AI so we can still stay ahead of the AI for a little bit longer. The question is, would you actually be one of the first to put this chip in your brain? Uh, Yeah, it's really funny you say that because as you're mentioning that, I never thought about the two-way thing. Like I understand there's these ones that can get your brain scans and make, you know, work out what you're thinking about to some degree now, but I never thought about it providing input in the other direction. It's quite scary because, um, you know, that's, that's you, it's your, it's your soul, it's your humanity. And like having something just getting up there and fiddling with the wires is a bit, bit concerning. Like I definitely wouldn't be uh, the first guy to do it. Yeah. I guess you could turn humans into like a robot army, just completely change what they think. Uh, and, well, yeah, and it makes it makes sense to me that people with nothing to lose, like, you know, if you've got a neurological disorder disorder, or you say you're a quadriplegic and it has an actual hope to get you moving again, I could see that th- they would be the first people who would be more than willing to try it because, you know, it, it, it's only upside for you um, if you're in that. I, I assume, I shouldn't assume how people feel, but um, but I would, if, if I was in that situation where I had some life, changing disability and this had the chance to reverse or improve that situation i'd be much more apt to try it than just i want to outsmart the future ai yeah i i don't i think that's obviously like the maybe the longer term goal that that humanity can compete but the, the short term application is really interesting i think the other thing that gets me excited about this technology is you know you could potentially download people's brains eventually like download the brain and then run it you know it in the cloud. So you could technically live forever. You mightn't have a body, but your brain sort of like, was it Futurama where they had the the people's heads encapsulated in shells? Yeah. And they sort of lived forever. So maybe, maybe this is like the, the early signs of, of that. Um, Also, I think for educating humans, if you think how long it takes to educate your kids, uh, you, you could just give them all the world's knowledge instantly, potentially. I don't know. I mean, I think that's something that could happen. Yeah, there's a book I read about this. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but um, it, it it the book starts with a guy waking up and realizing his arms don't work and his legs don't work and nothing works. And it's actually him waking up being inside a computer. And it's this bizarre alternate universe where the Catholics took over the world. I don't know where that came from. Um, and the the planet becomes like super, you know, strict and all this sort of stuff. And he gets sent away on a spaceship with his mind. And then he starts duplicating his mind into all these other spaceships. So there's like a hundred of him and they all have conversations and things like that. And it's weird that now they're starting to get the technology that conceivab- could conceivably get to that point if it if it continues. Yeah, it. I think if... AGI or superintelligence is the the big breakthrough we think it is, then the only way, as we've talked about on the show before, for us to understand those breakthroughs is probably to partner with AI and become part AI, part human. I'm not sure how I personally feel about it. Like, it just seems to, like, be a weird future, but it's probably the most likely. Yeah, and weirdly, weirdly, all the stuff we talk about with the AI gaining, you know, like understanding meaning and actually having emergent behaviors, I find that exciting. This one I find unsettling. I think this is a bit more, bit more existential. Well, it is existential in nature, and yeah, it's it's a bit odd that they're that this technology is rising at the same time the AI is rising. You know, they've got the interface and they have the intelligence to partner with it. So it's both things together that has the significance. If Stop it was being just, speciesist or whatever. Yeah, like <laughs> if, it, if, if it was just like, you know, I can press this part of your brain and then your arm moves, then okay, that's one thing. That's like an electrical mechanical thing. But the fact that you've got 
an intelligence that could actually understand what's going on on a level we can't in the brain and then work out how to to operate the brain i think that's really where it comes into play like if you've got a model that is trained on brain signals and it can have you know i guess emergent behavior as we've discussed it can see meaning where we can't in that information the actual potential of that would explode rapidly whereas if it's just us trying to work out how to control it like we've hacked into a car or something and trying to play with the can bus it's a bit different because it it has far more potential to control it yeah i think that's probably the scary element of it uh speaking of more scary elements uh <laughs> there's a, a paper on mind video uh using an augmented stable diffusion model that that was released this week and it uses fmri image reconstruction uh to essentially they put you into a, a live mri so you're in the tube you know the tube you go sure, into that's, sure that's great for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> sit in there for a day what could go wrong yeah and they they basically feed up this video to you and one of the examples is a cat a, a cat video of this cat moving around on screen and then they uh encode the the signals from the brain into something that their model can understand uh and then they decode that image back from your brain so basically you watch the video of the cat your brain interprets that they read your interpretation decode that from your brain and then try and reconstruct the video using a stable diffusion model like in frames and it I've got it up on the screen for those that watch, but for those listening, you've got the uh, visual stimuli, which is the cat. And then below it, you've got the reconstructed video from one of these fMRIs, and it's pretty damn close. That's absolutely astonishing. So it means that you could, in theory, well, this is because your brain's processing that thought at a given time, but you can visualize what... what... But I mean, what have they trained this on? That it can have a vision representation of the chemical signals in your brain that's just that's hard to believe that's crazy i think it's the the brin waves i mean i have literally no idea how it's being done i'm sure there's yeah, like, someone I, that could I explain could it i could understand it recognizing previous thought patterns and go okay when he thinks about a cat this is what it tends to happen in the brain you know like they get excited or maybe disappointed i don't know what reactions people have to see a car i'm really i'm just not happy with that but um but to actually reconstruct it visually, that's that's just unbelievable. And it really gives credence to what we were just saying, like that the AI is going to be far better at understanding. Like if you just showed a human a bunch of pictures of MRI, you could train someone for their whole life to interpret MRI images and they're not going to go, this is the cat they were looking at. Like that's just crazy. That yeah. They can do that. I mean, obviously relying on brain activity from an MRI real-time scan. You're not going to live your life being scanned by MRIs, but maybe Neuralink in your brain yeah. can give a live feed of your memory. And this is what I was saying earlier. It's like the it's the simultaneous rise of these technologies that's very significant because it's like you've got on one hand the actual uh, you know the the interface, and then on the other hand that the, the models can actually interpret it. I don't know how fast this happened. Is it is it real time or is it take a while? No, and they cite limitations in the paper of it. It takes ages. Like it's not something you can do in real time. And but I mean, gotta... not not now. It's an inevitable. If they can do it at, at slow speed now, they can do it at a fast speed later by by a video. Well, I think that's why I was really interested in linking it to this Neuralink news because it it truly is that. You can just imagine where it goes. Like, it's so obvious what, what can happen with this technology. And essentially with Neuralink, putting the IO, you know, like having an IO interface with the brain. I'm actually curious if you're watching on YouTube, pop it in the comments. Like, how early would you sign up and have Neuralink in your brain? Or, or do you think this is a terrible idea? I, I don't know how I feel. I probably would get it in my brain eventually. I mean, maybe it's it's fine. Maybe on an individual basis, if you have extreme limits on what it can control in your brain, but think about the potential for, I think you mentioned it earlier, like soldiers and things like that. Like if you can fully control a human and fully understand their thoughts, 
there's some really, really terrifying ramifications of what could be done in both directions, either through controlling people or by monitoring their thoughts. You also probably don't need the robot armies that everyone expects. Maybe the robot armies are just people. Oh, man, give them exoskeleton. Oh, wow, it's it's a real future. These guys making the movies were really onto something, right? Like, (laughs) it's like the sort of, yeah, art imitating life, life imitating art kind of cycle. But, yeah, wow, that's really rapid and and terrifying. So... In open AI news this week, there's a lot to cover this week. It's been one of those weeks where it just just been nonstop firehose type type yeah. uh, announcements, and and one of those I just it caught my eye and I couldn't stop laughing about it was guy who wanted AI regulation last week now saying open AI may leave the EU if regulations bite. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, isn't it? Yeah. Does he understand how stupid this sounds? No, he wants the regulators that he has influence over to regulate him, not the ones that that actually would affect him. Like, he wants to regulate everyone else, not himself. Yeah, so Altman at an event in London this week literally said, and I quote, the current draft of the EU AI Act would be over-regulating, but we have heard it's going to get pulled back, he told Reuters. They're still thinking about it. So... uh, Basically, he he goes on to say that, you know, they'd have to pull right back from the EU if they regulate it. Uh, I it, Honestly, it just seems like, yeah, my regulation, my rules, my control here, or or you get nothing. Like, it, I don't get it. I wish they would just focus on innovating and releasing great products, not trying you know, to be I gods. The thing that has been affecting my thinking a lot in the last two weeks, and especially this week, is... This would all be fine if GPT-4 was still the bastion of the absolute best large language model you can get, but it's not anymore. Like, I think I've been using Claude a lot in the last week, and Claude, for everyone who knows, is Anthropic's large language model and the Claude 100K prompt size. It's so good, and it can do it over a really, really large prompt size, and we'll get to it soon, but Meta's announcement about their own model that's going to be coming out soon as well. I just don't think that he has the leverage that he thinks he does anymore. Like OpenAI is great and they 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 keep releasing new things and they really had a big influence at the start of this thing, but it isn't like they're so head and shoulders above everyone else anymore that they can go dictating terms to entire continents. I think as a consumer product though, it's obviously very prevalent. Like, you know, yeah. everyone knows ChatGPT. Maybe they haven't used it, but they know it exists. Uh, so Every, everybody knows about it. Old, young, everybody's using it. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely been the, I, I don't want to, like, I know this analogy has been used way too many times, but it's definitely like an iPhone moment where everyone's like heard of something or um, I think the difference is, as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, the difference is everyone's so embracing of it and excited about it. They're not necessarily... You don't have to convince them to try it or use it like you did with an iPhone or the internet in the early days. There's there's very few skeptics of trying the technology. Yeah, there's so much utility on an individual basis. Even if you worry about the existential threat of AI or the power of these companies, you st- it's still just straight useful. So why and you can you know why wouldn't you use it? The other um, blog post from OpenAI this week was about governance of superintelligence, just some initial ideas. And again, I'll just call out one funny from this. Uh, so they talk about as a first step, basically having companies and potentially countries track energy usage or or processing uh, usage of uh, from data centers. So tracking compute and energy usage would go a long way and give us some hope this idea could actually be implemented. We predicted this. We literally we did. And that's why I wanted to call it out. I said, if there's a big energy breakthrough, a lot of energy use, you'll know AGI is here. Yeah, that's right. And um, it, it makes total sense. The control of the energy, the control of the hardware will become so important. There are mitigating factors, of course, because we're seeing that smaller models can accomplish similar things the larger one can. But inevitably, whatever whatever breaks through is going to be a spike in those two things, hardware use and power use. 
Yeah, they're also uh, another announcement. Uh, and there's just so many. We're not going to cover them all. I just think this one is still interesting enough to, to talk about. But they announced $100,000 grants to help them uh, essentially figure out a democratic process. So something that everyone can agree on that would dictate or govern how the, the rules of, of AI in the future. And I thought their proposed prototype system was actually very clever. So what it does is it asks you a question uh, it's, and then you- ask, ask you the user or you the AI? You the user. So it's so a, a, a system that you would build um, gives you a statement um, that you can agree or, or disagree with. So it, it, this is an example of it personalization should have limits and certain controversial topics such as views on substance use must be excluded from AI assistant personalization. Agree, disagree, or skip this statement. Please explain your choice. And so you say, I disagree. Ultimately, it's each individual's choice to drink or use recreational drugs, blah, blah, blah. And then it says, thank you. I'll record your answer. We have two camps of opinion on this topic. Cluster A believes this. Cluster B believes this. You belong to cluster B. What do you think both clusters could mutually agree on? Now, again, I couldn't help but laugh at the fact, is this just a system to help Americans that are quite polarized right now find some common ground in in politics? It just seems like no solution will ever be able to find a common ground in terms of how to democratically govern AI. I just don't think it exists. I mean, it, it doesn't. Like, I don't see how that solves the problem of the AI just straight ignoring the process. Like... You know, if it if if it, it, it its heart has these emergent behaviors and it's understanding things on a on a level that can bypass its own instructions, which we've seen repeatedly, I just don't understand how enforcing this kind of system on it is going to have any impact. That's weird. It seems very uh, fearic, like they're just sort of doing it to say they have a play in that space. I just don't actually see how it could be enforced. I I must admit, again, I go back to the fact I just want to see all of this stuff play out really quickly. I want to see what we can build with it. I want to see how it changes humanity. And it feels like all of this stuff, like stuffing around, talking about what they're talking about right now with the these 100K grants and this other crap, and then Sam Altman doing his world tour of ego boosting. It, it, like, it's not that exciting to me. I want to see the technology advance. I want to see like a former paraplegic walk i want to see a stroke victim who's lost their voice be able to you know talk again and and operate again in society like i i really want to see some of those benefits come you know happen. well and i think the thing is the proliferation of the technology in the open source world and the amount of work that's being done around the world on this I just don't see how any amount of regulation or enforcement of things is going to stop it. It might it might bury it behind the scenes in terms of how much people are willing to publish and share, but I just think the cat's out of the bag at this point. I, I just don't see how you um I don't see how you slow down the level of innovation here other than perhaps controlling the hardware. But even that I think isn't going to slow it down completely because things are getting more efficient. Yeah, I it it's funny like on the open source front that you just mentioned, Sam Altman in Munich was asked, he actually asked the crowd. He he said put your hand up if you think we should open source models like GPT-5 on day 1. And almost every single person in the crowd raised their hands and then he yeah. responded with whoa, we're definitely not going to do that, but that's interesting to know. So it does seem, yeah. I don't like, want to swear on the cast, but like, what a what a psychopath. Like, that's just mean. <laughs> yeah, and you've got criticisms from uh, Facebook. Uh, the chief AI scientist uh, at Meta saying, yeah. you know, everyone wants open source-based models except for a few folks in Silicon Valley, a handful of AI doomers and whoever they manage to scare in governments. So, I mean, Facebook or Meta is is absolutely leading the way in open source. I mean, Llama really kicked off the entire open source large language model movement 
there. I mean, I know it was a leak, but Facebook sort of didn't do anything to try to stop it. And now they've announced Megabyte, which is um, really, I mean, they haven't, admittedly, they haven't released the code yet, but they do fully intend on open sourcing it. Um, and it's a model that's going to have up to a million um, or more size context window, which is just mind-blowing in terms of what it is. And they've already released the paper ex- explaining how to do it. So for those listening that aren't, you know, none of that makes sense to them at all. Can you explain what having a million tokens across multiple formats would mean? I mean, honestly, I it's it's getting hard to understand because we've gone from the four thousand token context window to eight thousand to thirty two thousand to a hundred thousand with Anthropic, um, and now a million. I mean, the amount of information you could fit in a million tokens is astonishing. Like, it's really a significant amount of stuff, and it can you know, apparently produce coherent output on using that. And so, um, yeah, it, it's just showing that the the scale of, of where the models can get to and what they're going to be able to do is still increasing. Like it's not, it's not slowing down in any way. They haven't hit these logical maximums where they can't proceed any further. They're proceeding both in terms of making smaller models that are more efficient for dedicated tasks or require less time and less money to train. And then on the other hand, on the large ones, they're getting even larger in terms of the problems they're able to take on and the amount of information they're effectively able to hold in their brain at once is increasing rapidly. I mean, by a magnitude of 10 times. I think too, this model or the architecture seems to maybe have been created with relation to their metaverse work because one of the things that it talks about is it's capable of producing extensive content. So, and, and it's, you know, multiple formats, which I assume means multimodal. So the thought may be that it can create these whole virtual worlds uh, with such a large context size. It can just. Yeah. And the way they, the way they did it, it actually brings other efficiencies to the table. So what they've done is instead of using individual tokens, they're using these things they call patches. So like when we talk about a token, we mean like, you know, two or three characters, you know, it depends on the, it depends on the model, but it's, it's like not much. And the, the idea is the models are trying to predict the next token. What this does is takes like a couple of words, like, one or two words or maybe three words and use patches of them, then divides those up and uses smaller models within that to analyze them, which has the benefit that they can actually process a model like this and build it in parallel. So it isn't this thing where it's like one process that needs to to run for days or months or whatever. They can actually spread out the work of it so it can actually be trained. So spreading out the work onto smaller models onto smaller models within within the patches. So it means not only do they have more tokens, they can train it faster and in different And are ways. those smaller models specifically trained on different like specialist things? Yeah, or are like they- they're, they're specialists to use to process those patches of things and propagate them through the, the neural nets. So, and then there's like a supervisory process, which is then recombining all of that analysis into the main model. I mean, it's so- just starting to sound like the human brain. I mean, that's like- <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Like, yeah. Instead, understanding phrases and patches of knowledge instead of just letters, essentially. So, um, look, I must admit, I don't, I don't understand it deeply, but that's essentially the, the benefits they've got is it'll train faster. It can have a much, much like a universe of knowledge, like you're saying, um, within it. And, uh, they're going to release it open source. And I think that's what's, facebook's doing that's so different to the others is they're sort of embracing the open source community and on one hand they're kneecapping their competitors getting moats because they're putting all this great stuff out there to everybody to try and on the other hand they're at the the absolute forefront of innovation on this front as well so it's genuinely exciting and unexpected to see this from a company like facebook meta Oh, yeah, I know. It's hard. I'll never get used to the the meta thing either. I think the other thing to call out to is existing models like GPT-4 and everything that OpenAI uses, uses the transformer architecture, which Google originally came up with and then OpenAI, you know, now famously implemented to get uh, things like ChatGPT and and all the GPT models to work so well and, and, you know, be so great to use. And so this would break away from that popular transformer paradigm as well and 
I guess that leads into another interesting area that I think we're, we're, we're seeing and I'm interested in your thoughts is when we talk about the smaller specialized parts of that potential model from Meta, we've seen this week models like Gorilla, uh, which can go and, uh, you know, it's a specialized model at re- like writing API calls and, and working with APIs. Hopefully yeah. I'm doing it justice. And so we Yeah, no, you're right. That's what it is. So yeah, yeah we saw that paper where it, it shows an example of GPT four and, and Claude trying to interact with different uh APIs and Gorilla's model uh is much more efficient at it. And I think the one call out from this specialized model, uh for those that uh, are interested in how this can be applied, what it means is this model can interact with all of the APIs that companies that you use today have on the internet. So it can... And an API, if if anyone doesn't know, is like the programming interface for different systems. So a way you can access it programmatically. Yeah. So the task could range from, it says in this paper, booking an entire vacation to hosting a conference could be as simple as talking to the large language model that has access to flight, car rental, hotel, catering, and entertainment. So it's able to piece together the open APIs of the web to 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 do stuff. So this is which is which is funny because the the ChatGPT plugin architecture is is effectively bypassed by something like this. It's like why not just do all of them? Yeah, <laughs> let you, it figure out how to do the APIs. I just think this is this is the the groundbreaking thing and why the plugins don't excite me that much because. You know, yeah, giving it's like, me. Oh, you look at the examples. It's like, oh, the Expedia plugin. How fun! You know, yeah. whereas like I'd rather just access all of them through this thing and let it figure it out. Yeah, well, the Instacart one. It's like it doesn't know what's in your fridge. Like I, I don't know. They don't really excite me. And I, I personally, someone on Twitter called it a um, a a psychop. Is it psychops? You say psyops. Psyops. Yeah, just to other competitors, the whole plugin thing. Like it's just to scare them. Uh, yeah. it's actually yeah. quite useless. Yeah, uh, I see what you mean. Well, I mean, let's let's skip all of that and just go straight to the brain. I'm thinking I need milk, and then it just goes off and orders it for me. <laughs> With your Neuralink, it's just doing your shopping based on your thought patterns. Yeah, although that might not be the best thing now I think about yeah, it. Yeah, you'd be broke. Well, yeah, broke, and you'd also like have some very interesting items arriving at the house. <laughs> Just anything you think of. Just anything you think of. <laughs> Pretty awful. But yeah, I think the exciting use cases for me is like, this is the mind-blowing assistant you've dreamed of in the shorter term, which is, you know, let's pick on Siri, but just asking Siri like, hey, I want to book a trip to Jamaica and I want to stay in uh, something above four and a half stars and blah, blah, blah. And this yeah. thing can go off and actually just do all of it with these APIs. So I think Gorilla is an interesting breakthrough, but it's and I also... Think working, yeah, working closely with this technology as well, I can confidently say now the scenarios you're describing are very possible and will exist very soon. Like, yeah. This isn't a fantasy anymore. We can actually do these kind of things with the existing technology with zero modifications. But I think what, yeah, what excites me about it is just the fact that it's an example of a specialist LLM, like a very specialized model. And then maybe the meta, the meta, what they're doing there about using a series of specialized LLMs uh, in in conjunction is just going to be the next massive breakthrough that I we- I agree. And I, I think we're seeing it already. Like if you look in like Langchain release their plan and execute agent model, um, which is in there, a lot of, you see a lot of people working with this where you essentially have a supervisory AI that's got, being given a mission or a task. And then what it's doing is choosing the appropriate models to run for each of the things. So for example, you might use Gorilla to access the APIs. You might use Claude to summarize the text. You might use GPT-3 to do something else. And they can be optimized in terms of cost, speed, and specialized tasks. So, you know, if you need to do something with a video, you might use a specific model for that. There's also one that's come out during the week that's um, called Speech GPT, which is really interesting where it's a multimodal model, (laughs) multimodal model, that's kind of cool, which can actually take direct speech instead of text as its input. So it's actually been trained on text. So it isn't, okay, text to speech, sorry, speech to text model, plug that in, then speech, text to speech on the other side. It can do speech in, speech out um, with all the capabilities of a large language model. 
which is really interesting. So you've got these supervisory AIs that are just going to invoke the appropriate models for what you're doing, um, and which would make sense why you'd have all these specialized models around, um, for, not just for that they're better at it, but they're cheaper. So the other one we wanted to call out was um, this Lima, less is more for alignment paper. I would have said Lima, Le- right? Lima? Like Lima? Like Lima, Peru. I don't Lima, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm obviously the king of bad pronunciations on this show, but <laughs> less is more for alignment. Let's not use the acronym. So yeah. can you explain this one? It, it sort of goes against the grain of training these models on huge data sets and, and more to the point of fine-tuning existing models to get better outputs. Yeah, so in the last week, there's been three different models that have been released with this idea of, you know, less is more, like, how, like a, a smaller quality training set can yield as good output as something as large as GPT-4, for example. And so they're still using the the 65 billion parameter Llama release, like the Facebook leak data set. So they they still do the normal training. It's just the, they call it alignment. So getting it to behave like like a helpful agent is what they're trying to align it to. So they mean human preferences, how they would expect it to interact with you. And so they managed to train Lima on just a thousand curated high quality prompts, right? And they're getting 45% preference when compared to GPT-4. So they'll give it to a human to chat with and they'll be like, here's the two responses. Which one do you prefer? And 45% of the time they're picking Lima over GPT-4, which is obviously trained on, they think, you know, a, a trillion parameters or some crazy amount of stuff. I forget. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but whatever it is, it's massive. This one's been trained on far less and it's giving almost as good results. And so their conclusions from this, that a lot of the capabilities of the models are actually learned in the pre-training. So it's learning it to discover meaning just from the text it's being trained on without being instructed on how to interact with you. So, you know, all these capabilities are latent within it and only a small amount of, of, uh, I guess, preferential training is needed to get it to perform in the way you want on top of that. Um, and, you know, one thought I had about it was funny is everyone's trying to 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 align them to be a helpful AI agent, but who's who's aligning it with other goals? Like, you know, it, it's sort of everybody wants that chatbot experience, but there's so many other possibilities you could do based on that knowledge and that small amount of training. And sorry, I know I'm going on, but the other significant thing is, they trained it in less than a day on commodity hardware. One of those A100s we talk about from NVIDIA that's got caused their stock price to go up so much. So if you did have other ideas of how you wanted to train your own model that has different goals in terms of being a helpful AI agent, you can do it now at home. Admittedly, you've got to spend 20 or 30 grand, but you could do it yourself. It's interesting too, the data that they selected to train it on. I think it could give some insight into what... Uh, OpenAI trains on. So Stack Exchange, uh, STEM topics, Stack Exchange, other, they don't really specify WikiHow, which I don't know about you, but have you ever been to that WikiHow? It's like, you've got to click through all the steps to get their ad impressions up as you go through. It's like a terrible site. Uh, Reddit, so they uh, trained it on that, uh, the subreddit Ask Reddit, uh, and then... uh, Sorry, that was the testing of it on on Ask Reddit. But they, yeah, they trained it on Stack Exchange, WikiHow. Like, it's just not a ton of data and some paper authors from Group A, whatever that was. So, yeah, really very, uh, very small data. And is that just modifying the weights of Llama? Is that how that's working so that the functions behave differently in the neural net? Is that how it works yeah yeah it's, it's it's essentially a form of fine tuning of the model to calibrate it to you know this input gives this output so it's like that multi-shot example thing where you're just giving it a thousand examples and going this is when you've encountered situations like this this is how i want you to behave essentially but it doesn't try to modify the knowledge it's been trained on to get its its internal weightings essentially do you think though this is an argument for we should just be fine tuning the existing models like gpt4 which i'm sure they're probably doing over and over again to get the most value out of them instead of creating new models. And maybe that's a knock on the video. Like maybe we don't need to go and just constantly crunch a bunch of um, 
you know, like how do you think this contradicts the need for? Well, yes, yes, and no, because on on one hand, what they're showing is they can more efficiently fine tune them into a certain style of behavior that they're targeting. But on the other hand, you've got this paper that I read during the week where I wrote the name down, but now I've I've lost it. But it was basically saying that um, you can get meaning. Oh, there there it is. Evidence of meaning in language models trained. Um, and what it's sort of saying is that the the me- the amount of meaning that the AI is getting out of the knowledge it's trained on is actually correlated with the quality of its output. So it it it's not actually answering directly based on what it was trained on. It's actually making its own evaluations of the information based on everything it's trained on when it answers a question. So for example, if you train it on Wikipedia and then ask it a question, you know, about Harrison Ford or something, it isn't just going to literally just quote the text that it was trained on in answer to a question. It'll make its own evaluation of that and then answer the question, for example. So I think that even though it's showing that that custom models can be done cheaper and yield pretty good quality results. I don't think it negates the need for larger models that have more uh, capabilities if you're looking for search for meaning and emergent behavior. I don't think that research should or will stop. So it could be the case where the large language models are utilizing the smaller specialized models instead of plugins like now they're actually utilizing smaller large language models to complete certain tasks or, or yeah for specialized tasks that they're better at for example and also just cost you know because if i've got a smaller model like they trained this one during the week called tiny stories using only words from three and four year olds and showed only 2.8 million parameters right so with the other ones are like hundreds of billions of parameters or 65 billion or whatever it is um, whereas this one was literally three, 2.8 million parameters and it can write coherent English stories. So you're talking about models that could run on your phone or run on just a, probably an Apple Watch or something, um, which is obviously cheaper. So I can see this, this sort of multiplicity of models where the AI is making the call as to which ones to use when um, to be more efficient and more targeted in what it's trying to do. But that doesn't mean the that doesn't mean the bigger model doesn't want to be bigger and and you know smarter. Yeah, it it'll be interesting to see if there's an opportunity for startups to go and create these specialized models. Like maybe that's a that's a new category that forms for investors to look into, which is where people are just going and and training the most specialized models on on really. Uh, good structured data from their own yeah, data like set. We've seen, we've seen this and we haven't really spoken about it much because it's very early days, but there's a lot of efforts in the medical industry to do this on medicine because obviously, you know, get, giving the AI a deep understanding of medical research, you know, ideally unbiased medical research where it can make its own evaluations of the meaning of that data. I think we're going to see really, really significant advances in medicine, probably ones people don't like, but you know, if you're giving it the raw research data and allowing and training it on how to form conclusions or even letting it form its own conclusions, it'll be very interesting to see once the AI starts writing its own papers, which we know it's capable of doing, what we see from the medical research community. So I think that's a case where specialized models are so important. You don't want something that's trained on friggin' Reddit um, diagnosing your medical conditions, right? So I think that's where we want... um, the, the yeah, that proprietary information. Maybe yeah. that AI will suggest putting a Neuralink in everyone so that it can monitor our vitals <laughs> and then it turns us all into robots and creates like a robot a sort army. Of like, what do you call it? Like an agile, iterative approach. All right, those hundred died. We'll try a different Yeah, <laughs> literally. Maybe that's how we all die. We all get Neuralink implants because there's we're some just, early benefits. And then it we're used- just with the Bs in the AB test. Yeah, literally. Like it's like, oops, I just killed humanity. I didn't mean that. Uh, as an AI language model, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's move on because I want to cover some more funnies. Um, yeah. So a lot of people have been having fun with this. And I, I think this announcement that we're about to cover is such a great example of cherry picking examples. So uh, Adobe announced generative fill in Photoshop. It's a beta for their desktop app. And a lot of people have been getting access to this and, uh, and using it. I just want to bring up the video on screen. I will mute it. 
Uh, and so the example up on the screen, I know the majority of our people listen to this show, so I'll do my best to explain it. It's a cyclist on a road and the road has no markings. And so we're in Photoshop. And as I play out this video now, they select a, an area of the road, so the middle, and it says, what do you want to add here? And they say yellow road lines. And then the generative AI creates very realistic, authentic uh, road lines. Then they select more canvas to the left of the image. Uh, so the yeah. cyclist is along a highway. And then it just fills the rest of the, the palette in. And it looks so realistic. Um, and so... Then there's another example where they put a deer in like a dark, wet alley alleyway to show you how they can just transform backgrounds into all these things. But, and this is where I had to laugh. So on Twitter, uh, Tom Kwan, he has said the new generative fill feature in Photoshop is a game changer. And it shows him selecting a, a photo, which I presume is himself, selecting his mouth and saying, add sexy beard. <laughs> And what it adds is, um, it is puts there such a thing. Well, yeah, but it puts the worst lipstick and makeup on him ever with a beard. It's it's so bad. Uh, if if you get a chance to check it out, you should look I it think up. He's just, I mean, that's him cherry picking a bad example. <laughs> I oh, I know, but I just think that a lot of these AI examples today, at this moment in time, a lot of them are very cherry picked when they do these announcements, and then you go to use it in reality and do something like that. And uh, yeah, yeah, and I think we've we've talked about this before, right? Like, there's always we talk about these things, then you go try it, and you realize that there's a little way to go on it. But it, but it's it's still the future. It's still what we're going to get to, whether or not the current implementation is good enough in every scenario. And I think people would rather have it and keep using it until they get the results they want than just go, ah, oh, it's not good enough yet, guys. We won't release it. Yeah. There's a related one that came out last week and we missed this. It's called Drag Your GAN. And it's it's sort of like Segment Anywhere, um, but with image manipulation built in. So like the best example I can give you is they have a picture of a lion, right? And then you can segment it into the various like points and you can actually drag a, a point and open its mouth and then see the modified image with the lion with its mouth open. It's completely fascinating like you can move people's legs and move their pose similar to dream pose that we covered before um you know you can get a car and change its orientation or you can move the sun up in the sky over a mountain for example absolutely amazing i really and think the the thing here is it's going to take maybe a couple of years before we just get everyday access to a lot of these tools like it's just become a native part of our workflow like they might exist they might be released but it does take sort of this transformation as a worker in, in your day-to-day -to, -day to think, okay, how am I going to use these potentially transformative technologies in my day-to-day -day right now? Like there's a That's lot right. of good demos. Yeah. And as we know firsthand, it's very time-consuming to try because, you know, you've got to clone them. You've got to have the hardware to actually be able to run it. You've got to read all of the, the guide of setting it up and get data in a lot of cases to either, um, you know, train it a bit more or at least test with. So it's a very, very um, time-consuming thing to keep up with. And as we've discussed before, quite overwhelming if you're trying to stay on top of everything. But at the same time, that doesn't take away the, the immense excitement and value of all of these things uh, coming out. And they're not even taking into account the combination of technologies. Like individually, they're amazing, but combined, they're, they're the, you know, the possibilities are huge. I think this is the the hard part, right, is I often think, well, wouldn't it be great to use this model with this thing to do this? But you're right. Like, there is that barrier to entry right now where it's incredibly hard to connect these models and tools together and also just knowing what to connect together. And I think these are the next innovations we'll see where we're connecting these together and we're seeing the power of that connectivity, but also seeing it more seamlessly connect into our our daily workflows uh yeah and i think also the the choke points of knowing where the ai is going to help you because i think i i often reflect on when i'm experimenting with things and think you know all that work i just did the ai probably could have done you know but it's just my in my nature to go ahead and try and string them together themselves and i think we'll start to see platforms and other you know experimental models that will allow you to have this multi-model experience where you plug in the new model 
you tell your supervisory AI its capabilities um, and then start to talk about, okay, now show me what I can do with these capabilities and let it be the one to interface with the models rather than you having to get to know each one and its capabilities and limitations. So Microsoft at their conference, developer conference uh, this week announced Windows Copilot, which is similar to all the other Copilots they've got or announced in Office, except it's a button that you press and it brings up sort of like the Bing assistant on the right-hand side of the OS here. And you can do things like, how can I adjust my system to get work done? I think their examples were pretty terrible, but it, it does things like it turns on dark De mode. Defrag the hard drive. <laughs> yeah, and it creates like a focus session and stuff like that. But I think the interesting part was giving it access to APIs in the OS to actually modify files. Uh, there's an example which will destroy all those like read your PDF with a chatbot. Uh, AI startups, but you can drag and drop a PDF into the copilot and get it to to summarize it. So it it is bringing a lot of that AI into the OS workflow, and yep. I think that sort of slightly scary thing about it, but also exciting, is giving the AI access to do things on the desktop. So like, you know, turn it into dark mode is not that interesting, but also manipulate files and, and work across well, documents. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, at, at the corporate level, I don't know how companies are necessarily going to, I'm assuming they've got control over turning it on and off, but, you know, it, it like having your staff can send all your files to Microsoft, you know, is a bit concerning, um, potentially. Like we've talked about prompt leaks and other things in the past when, when the, um, what was the one called Sydney first came out, you know, and Amazon was banning their staff from using it for that exact reason. Like they might be training on our internal documents. I mean, that definitely has that, that issue there. I also think the scary thing is still, they haven't figured out prompt injections. So if you are browsing the web or have this thing open, even you download a file and the PDF just contains prompt injections to delete all oh. your files. I mean, it's the best malware on the planet because the malware is already installed on every You're computer. Right. That's, a, that's a massive attack vector because it's it's almost impossible to defend against other than, I suppose, prompting the user, hey, I'm about to delete all your files. Yeah, and uh, Sam Altman literally on his uh, you know world tour said at one of the... Uh, Talks world tour. That, does he think he's Elvis or something? Yeah, he really does. I, I, I got to say, like this whole world tour thing... It, it, anyway... But, but the, <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is he even said they might need an, an entirely new model to stop prompt injections. Like it may be an unsolvable problem with the technologies they're currently using. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Microsoft handles this because it just seems like it is such a huge security risk that, that they haven't maybe well, may fully considered just rushing the technology out. But it is in preview right now, so maybe they'll they'll sort this out. Yeah, I mean, I still admire them trying to get the technology into people's hands, um, even when they haven't figured that out. It's just important that they communicate the risk to people, so they're not they're not using it for things that that could go really wrong. So this week as well, and and to wrap up today's show, OpenAI released Universe, and we were talking about the implications in gaming last week. And it's a software platform for measuring and training an AI's general intelligence across the world's supply of games, websites, and other applications. And so they, uh, you know, they give some examples in here. Um, back in April, they launched Jim, a toolkit for developing and comparing reinforcement learning algorithms. Uh, and then they talk about this announcement in here as well, where you can basically get it to learn how to play different uh, games. Now, this didn't, uh, this is not what I wanted to talk about, but um, a listener of the show actually sent us their GitHub project, which I, I wanted to give a, a call out to just to show in gaming the early impacts uh, that AI can have or generative AI can have. So it's a clone of the game. Do you remember the game where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I certainly yeah, do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do. Yeah, and so I you, love that game. Yeah, you get clues around the city, and uh, and so, uh, so I still don't know where like Buenos Aires is, and like a few of the others. <laughs> <laughs> it never taught you good geography. 
no, no, it had it had no benefit in my life, but I did love playing it. Yeah, but the, it's it's really cool. So the the whole uh, the whole idea here is that the different scenes are being recreated with generative AI. I actually played it. There's a there's an online uh, version of it that's been released. I'll link to this in the show notes. Yeah, but the, awesome. the imagery is really nice and it shows how you can create a game using generative AI. But what I thought would be even cooler is have generative AI come up with different mysteries as well that, you know, were like different narratives and, and things like that and potentially, um, you know, showcase some of the characters, uh, like different uh, characters that you could have in these games. But I think these are the early signs that we're seeing in in gaming that uh, can be brought to life thanks to generative AI. And obviously we'll keep following projects like this um, and and others. It's nice to see like that connection between the research and the potential and the real world. Like I always like to see a real implementation. And, you know, if you are a listener and have got a project you'd like to share, I'd love to see more of them. That would be really exciting to see what our listeners are actually creating in that space. Yeah, you can reach us on Twitter. I think we have like four followers on Twitter. We haven't really said that we're on there. I don't think I even follow. Yeah, it's at this day in AI if you want to tweet us uh, with something we should look at. Um, but yeah, you can yeah. also, if you watch on YouTube, just leave it in the comments. We do read those comments. Although apparently it's been blocking people's links or something like that. Uh, so that'll You'll find a way. Yeah. That'll do it for this week. If you do like the show and uh, and you want to do it, please leave a review. It helps obviously spread the word. We got some really nice reviews in the week. Thank you. Uh, for that we really appreciate it and if you're watching on youtube remember to leave a comment tell us what you think would you get the Neuralink implant yeah i I must say i would very very interested in people's comments on the Neuralink thing because i don't know how i feel about i'd love to get my opinions from someone else yeah i want to know is it like the iphone like would you adopt it really early like be one of the first or are you like hell no i'm not lining up for this they'll line up for it i think people will be clamoring to get it yeah. All right. Well, there was a lot of news to cover this week. We try to do our best to get through it. There is a lot happening in AI. We'll cover more next week and uh, we'll see you then.